Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here, and um, I want to talk to you today about this mission, uh, the story that God is telling us. And I want to start by just admitting to you that sometimes I settle for so much less, for so much less than God wants for me. Um, sometimes I chase after things and they are so much less than what God has in store for me. Um, and I know I'm not alone in this. Um, some of us just want to make it to fill in the blank, right? If we can just make it to fill in the blank, then, oh man, our life will be worth something. Our life will be happy. Our life will be meaningful. Um, so some of us, we just want to make it to retirement, right? If I can just make it to retirement, then I'll be happy, um, or if I can just make more money, I'll be happy. If I can just get a promotion, if I can just get that job that I'm aiming for, um, if I could just be in a relationship, oh man, I'd be happy. If I could just get married, if I could just have a child, if I could just, oh man, if I could just have peace in my life, then maybe uh, life would be worth living. Um, and these things that we want, these things that we, that, that we set our minds on, they become the stories of our lives. Okay, the things that we aim for begin to actually shape and define us. Right, that's what we're seeing in this series. These are stories that define us. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6, verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so for some of us, the treasure is money. For some of us, the treasure is relationship. For some of us, the treasure is a feeling of harmony with the people around us, right? There's lots of different things that we treasure. And Jesus says your heart will be there. And if your heart is there, it will begin to shape you and redefine you. And these things that I'm talking about, most of them, they're not even bad, right? Some of them even are gifts from God. Uh, but one problem that we have uh, is that often we aim our hearts and we treasure things that, again, they're still, even if they're good things, they are so much less than what God wants for us. We end up removing ourselves from setting our heart on where God's heart is. And we settle for less. Author C.S. Lewis, um, he pointedly describes this in his book, The Weight of Glory. And here's a quote from him. He says, Our Lord, this is God, finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. God offers us infinite joy. God offers us a purpose. God's story, God's mission includes you taking a space cat button and wearing it so that someone's eternity is changed. I mean, this is the power and the mission of God, that he can take something like a button and turn it into part of your eternal purpose to change someone else's eternal destiny. Right? We settle for far, far too less. And when the Bible was being written, this was the problem for most of God's people. For so many people that said they were following God, the Jewish people had their hearts set on something. They were living a story that defined them. Uh, and so this was the Jewish story. I'm going to share it with you. 
The Jewish story at that time was our land by our goodness. This was the story that defined the Jews of Paul's day. Our land by our goodness. Okay, the Jews believed that God had promised that they could possess the land of Israel. Okay, and I think about the land of Israel as a roughly California-shaped, although not California-sized, but California-shaped strip of land in the Middle East. And back then, um, when they began to be defined by this story, this was an incredibly fertile land with all kinds of natural resources. It was called the land that flowed with milk and honey. So it was very prosperous, very fertile. Um, and this land was also strategically located at the crossroads of major trade routes. And so it could also generate wealth as a geographical hub for the economies of the world. And the Jews believed that God had promised them this land, and if they were good enough, then God would give them this land, and they and they, their descendants would live in it forever. It was our land by our goodness. And God is speaking in the book of Romans, and he's telling them that they actually are missing God's map. They're so focused on this strip of land that they're missing what God has designed for them. They're missing the story that God is trying to tell. Their passion for the land is much too small. They are too easily satisfied. And their story that it's their goodness that's the key to inheriting this land is a lie. And as Paul sort of unearths these wrong thinkings and tries to correct their story, it's not just important for them to understand, but it's important for us today. It's important for us. Do you realize that, I don't know if you've noticed this, but a significant portion of our country's foreign policy is also based on this wrong story. I mean, there are people who radically influence the lives of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in the Middle East and beyond because they actually misunderstand the story. They think that God's story is what the Jews of Paul's day believed. And they are wrong. They were wrong back then and people are wrong today. There may be political reasons to be pro-Israel, but... God's design, God's story is not that this strip of land belongs to Israel anymore. That story is far too small. And so in Romans 4, Paul's been exposing the wrong stories. He's corrected the Jews' misunderstandings of Father Abraham, of King David, of circumcision. But now he's going to correct their misunderstanding, the false story that they've been believing about the promised land. Okay, both aspects of the story are wrong. It's not our land and it's not our goodness. God's story is so much greater. And so we're going to start by seeing how, God, how Paul and God through Paul changes this story or, or restores this story by reading the beginning of Romans 4.13. Okay, it's in your bulletin. It's up here on the screen. Um, this is just the first half of Romans 4.13. This is God's word. Okay, it says, for the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be heir of the world. Now, this isn't the end of the sentence, but if you were a Jewish person at the time Paul wrote this, you'd been like, wait, wait, hold on, wait, 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 stop, what, what, oh, hey, Paul, wait, heir of the what? Hold on. The reason we call it a promised land 
is because the land was promised to Abraham. It was promised by God. Hold on a second. How can you say this? The promise was that Abraham would be heir of the promised land. But that's not what Paul says. He says that God made a promise to Abraham and to his descendants. And that, that promise was that he would be heir of the world. Heir of the world. And so the Jews would argue. There are lots and lots of Christian people and churches that would argue today continually that it's all about the land. It's all about this strip of land, right? This map of Israel, like it's all about the land. It's the promised land, right? This is what it's all about. This is what God's promises are all about. And what God says, do you see what verse 13 says? I mean, look at it again. Read it. It's the text. It's not me. It's not my opinion. It's not my politics. This is God's telling his people through the apostle. Through the apostle. It says the promise to Abraham and to his descendants was that he would be heir of the world. The world. And so it's not just a map of Israel. But it's, it's so much more than that. Put the slide up of the, of the map of the world. It's not just the promised land. It's not our land. That was the Jews' story. What God's story is, it's the world. It's the world. Friends, it's the world that God is after. It's the world that God promised. That's what verse 13 says. And so God is saying, your story is too small. God is saying, we're going to see how many of you were paying attention about 10 minutes ago. God is saying, you need more space. <laughs> For those of you who aren't laughing, the cat says more space. Okay, so God, we're combining it. See, God is saying what we're saying. You get that? Okay, it's all tied together. Great. Okay, no, this is what God, God is saying. You need more space. Your tiny strip of land that's actually the size of New Jersey is way too small. I made a promise to Abraham, not for this little piece of land in the Middle East. I made him a promise that he would be heir of the world. Everything from, not just from sea to shining sea, right? But the entire world. Now, why is this important? This is not just about real estate. Okay, this is not just about geography. Remember, stories define us. And what you think God is doing in the world is going to shape the way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you feel about events in the world. And so if your story says that what matters is the strip of real estate in the Middle East, it's going to define you. And you're going to miss what God is doing in the whole world. And that's what happened to Israel that's what happened to the Jews of Paul's day because they had corrupted God's story. They made it about our land. They became defined by it and it impacted their relationship to the world out there. Okay? And so it caused them to withdraw from the world. It caused them to segregate and to separate themselves. And in their separateness, because all that mattered was their land, they became supremacists. Their general attitude, their general attitude, they believed that they were better than everyone else. We're the chosen people. You're not. 
We've been chosen by God. You haven't. This is our land, and everything else is dirty and defiled and not worthy. And so they built up walls for themselves um, and, around, and between them and the world around them. And this took several corrupting forms that actually still exist today. The church is still guilty of these kinds of things. And, these, and the church gets guilty when we get out of step with the story of God. When the church is focused too inwardly, when it's focused on our land, right? And our land sometimes is the geographical strip of, of land in the Middle East. Sometimes it's just our church. It's our people. It's our holiness. It's our children. It's our political views or it's our theology or it's our whatever it is. When we get too focused, and again, these things aren't necessarily bad, not, not all the time, but when we get too focused on our land, we get corrupted and we miss God's story. And so again, here's just a, a, a few ways this happens. Um, one way this happens is that God's people become against the world. Okay, we look at the world out there, outside the church, and we're against them. And what this produces from the church are angry attacks. Okay? And so this is where you fight with outsiders, you criticize outsiders, you vilify outsiders, you treat outsiders like they're second-class citizens, like they deserve your vitriol, like they deserve your, um, your criticism, and you feel justified in attacking the world. You're against the world. That's one way that the Jews of Paul's day, but I think more importantly, the church today treats the world around us because we're too focused on our land and not focused on the world. We'll talk about that in a sec. But the second way is that we can tend to act not just against the world, but above the world. We act like we are above the world, and this produces arrogance. And we talk a lot about this here at our church, right? We talk a lot about how corrupting religion can be and how easy it is for us to feel like we're better than other people. We are self-righteous toward outsiders. Um, this is a corruption. This is not God's design. This is out of step with God's story. But we act above the world. And then the, the third way that this corrupts us is that we also can sometimes act apart from the world. We act apart from the world. And this is where we are aloof. We're aloof. Where we are separate but not in a good way. We're separate in a sense and we're unconcerned about the problems in the world. Well, that's for them to deal with. Like, good luck with all that. <laughs> you know, we're over here, we're good. You know, if you want to be saved, then you can be saved from all that. But, you know, we're over here, we're fine. You guys have your own mess to deal with. We're not going anywhere near that. Um, and so against the world, above the world, apart from the world, these are three ways that we are tempted to think about people that aren't Christian. Um, the world outside. And I just want to ask, isn't this exactly what makes the church odious? Like, isn't this exactly what makes us irritating and even infuriating to people outside? Um, I had somebody who is a dear friend, someone who I love and who loves me, spend 45 minutes this week trying to convince me to become vegan. And... Boy, I could tell you all kinds of things about this conversation because it went on for 45 minutes. Um, the most important thing about the conversation was 
I kept saying to myself, this person loves me, this person cares about me, and this person said, hey, I want to keep you on the earth for as long as possible because you mean something to me and to a lot of other people. And I was like, all right, I'll give you another 15 minutes if you're going to say stuff like that. You know, um, <laughs> but in the midst of this, like he was, two in a, he was really trying hard to not be pushy, but I was like, wow, I think this is how I can get toward other people sometimes with Jesus, you know? And again, it's, we need to share, we need to step out, we need to be bold sometimes, right? But I just had this experience, and I was like, oh man, like, you can be vegan, that's cool, it's great for you, and I'm like, gosh, how many people have said that to me? And I'm like, oh, I hate that when they say that to me, but, then, but there I was saying it to him. But the point is, when we are, I, I think, yeah, I think he was probably a little bit above the world was kind of the feeling I was getting from him. You know, he, he just felt like he was a little bit self-righteous toward me, but he was doing it in love. And so I, I sort of let my love cover over the multitude of his, of his conversational sins. Um, <laughs> but the point is, the point is that we act like this sometimes. And I also want to say too, that I feel like in our church, I don't think a whole lot of you struggle with being too bold. Okay, I think we kind of steer on the other side of the spectrum, right? There's a continuum. Some people are way too bold, arrogant, and they come across obnoxious. I feel like our church, we need to sort of come out of our shell a little bit more. So um, we need to realize, I I guess, so you might not be guilty of these things. Um, These might not be your particular flavors that come across that frustrate people. You might have most people in your life who just don't even know you're Christian, they just don't know anything about your faith. And, um, and I think the call for us um, is to understand what God says and to understand the story that God is telling, okay? Because the answer to this, the answer to these corruptions, the answer to the corruption of not speaking up enough um, is Jesus, Okay, these things don't just miss the geography of God's story, but they miss the heart of God. Okay, because Jesus shows that God is not against the world. Okay, Jesus shows that God is not above the world. Right, Jesus isn't against the world. He, he's not above, I mean, he was above the world, but he actually came down into the world. And when he got here, he took the lowest place. He lived like a slave, Right? He wasn't above anybody on earth. And Jesus shows that God's not apart from the world. Right? He enters in. He enters in. And so the promise to Abraham that he would be heir of the world, what this means is that God isn't against the world. God is not above the world. God is not apart from the world. God is for the world. God is for the world. This is the heart of God. This is the mind of God. This is the mission of God. He is for the world. He loves the world so much that he entered into the world to save it in Jesus. God entered into the world to rescue and renew it. Okay, and this isn't just a new story that comes about with Jesus. Like Paul has tried to make it clear that this is the story God has been telling all along. Like this is the story that God has been telling from the beginning. 
And so I want to just show you the beginning part of this story so that you can see that even though the fact that it says it here in Romans 4 means that it applies to us today, but I want you to see that this is the story that God has been telling even through the story of Israel. Like they should have understood this. They should have gotten this, but they left the story. And so let me just give you a couple of passages. In Genesis 1, in the very beginning, when God made human beings, he made Adam and Eve in his image, and he told them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He says, fill the entire earth. I don't want you just to have a little strip, a little garden in Eden. I want you to fill the world with your children and with your leadership and with your heart and with your creativity and with your organization. I want you to fill the earth. And then in Genesis 6 through 9, here in the story of Noah, we find the first time the word covenant is used in the Bible. And so that's a big deal. And guess what? The word covenant is used seven times in the story of Noah, Genesis 6 through 9. That's not insignificant. What God is saying is, here is my covenant plan. This is in sort of a microcosmic form. This is a picture of what my covenant is going to do for the rest of eternity. And what's the story of Noah? Was that God is going to stop the evil of the world and bring about a brand new, healed and renewed earth. That God is not just going to fix one little strip of land somewhere in the, in the, in the Near Eastern world, but God is going to renew the whole earth the scope of God's covenant, the scope of God's mission will stop at nothing less than the renewal of everything, people and place. This earth is going to be joined with heaven in the end. And the covenant with Noah is a picture of that. It's like a a Sunday school flannel board. If you told the story of Noah to a kid, When you're done, you can say, and guess what? This whole flood thing, Jesus actually took God's punishment so that God would forgive and love the world. And the whole world is going to be filled and renewed. And it's going to be made the way God wanted it to be made. And it's not just Noah and his family, but it's Jesus and everyone who believes in him who's going to inherit the world man, like this is a story God is telling. And if the Bible that you're reading doesn't include this story, then you're out of step with the big story of the Bible. Okay, Genesis 12, let's talk about Abraham. When God called Abraham and began his relationship with Abraham, God said at the very end, he said, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed that God's design in choosing anyone is that those people would be chosen to reach the world. And so being chosen doesn't make you arrogant. It doesn't make you a supremacist. It makes you a servant of the world. Then Exodus 19, this is with Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai receiving the law. And God says, look, all the earth is mine. In Exodus 19, all the earth is mine and you're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a holy nation. And so what he's saying there is that I'm going to use you as my people to reach the world. You're going to stand in between me and the world. I'm giving you my message. Not so that you'd build walls up and keep everybody out, but so that you would 
go in so that you would become the light of the world so everyone would know. I mean, this is the story of the Bible. It's God and his people for the world. And this is what Paul means. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans 4, verse 13. God's promise is so much more than the promised land. It's to love the whole world, every nation, all types of people. So we need to ask a very quick question. So like, what's the deal then with the promised land? Like, why is there all this emphasis on the promised land? If you read the Old Testament, God gives this strip of land. He defines its borders. He tells Israel to go in there and to act a certain way, to do certain things. What's the deal with the promised land? Well, here's the short answer. The promised land was God's down payment on the whole earth. God promised Abraham the whole earth. And he said, look, just so you'll know for sure this is going to happen, I'm going to give you this little strip just to get you started. You're small. You're not big enough to fill the world yet. And so I'm going to put you here. I'm going to plant you here. And my design is that as you live with me, you're going to grow and fill the earth. And so the promised land is a down payment. And once Jesus comes, man, the land borders go away. And now Jesus said, the last thing he said in Matthew's gospel was, all power and authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now go into all the nations and make disciples. Go disciple the nations. And so the promised land is just this foreshadow of God's love and his plan to love and to rescue the whole world. And so for us, like what does this mean? This means instead of building walls around the church, Let's go into the world. Instead of being angry, let's show forgiving compassion. Right? Instead of attacking, go in and serve the things that are worth criticizing. Instead of arrogance, go in with humility, knowing that the only reason that you are loved by God is because God chose to love you, not because of anything that you have done. And so instead of being aloof, Enter in, roll up your sleeves, and love. Love, the great picture that Jesus gave us is to wash the feet of others, to do for others what even slaves didn't like doing, but to be willing to do anything to love and to care for the people around you. And that's our call. Our call is to go into the world around us, right? We don't have to leave San Diego You don't have to leave your home. You don't have to leave your workplace. You don't have to leave your neighborhood to do this. You can go into those places and do this. Enter in, serve, care for others. You show them Jesus with your life of service, right? We're talking about showing Jesus and sharing Jesus, right? You show them Jesus with your life of service. You show them Jesus with your words of love. You show them Jesus with your attitude of joy and peace. And you pray for God to open up an opportunity to tell them, this is what Jesus has done for me. Sometimes that can be difficult, right? Sometimes it's hard to get that conversation going. So you have a button. You can wear a button. 
So someone can go, why are you wearing a button? What is that? I can't even see it. I can't, you know, and you're like, if it's too close, you're too close or something. If you can't read it, you're too close. Um, but no, you say, you know what? Yeah, like say everything Mike said, or you can say, hey, our church, I, I just, I really like our church. We do really cool things. I know a lot of people have problems with the church and problems with Jesus because his people are sometimes really messed up. But our church does some really neat things and we're doing something special in September. We're having a fall launch because we need more space. And it's like a space cat. See that? It's a space cat. And so on September 17th, we're going from one morning service to two and we're going to have a party and a celebration. And we're going to talk about some really neat things and ways that we can actually make the city better. And so you should come. And if you don't want to, that's fine. I'm not going to push you, but you should come. There you go. Write that down. I mean, literally, I'm going to wear this. And I'm a pastor, so it's like, oh, you get an excuse to do that because you're a pastor and you're supposed to do things like this. But just so you know, I'm going to wear this button every day all the time just so that people will go, what is that button? So I can tell them some version of what I just said. Um, And I would encourage you to do the same. We're going to make it easy for you. Um, All right, so where are we? God is for the world. He loves the world. This is the story of the whole Bible. Um, When you enter in, I just want to remind you that you're doing exactly what God did in the world that he loves and is for. Jesus left heaven and entered in so that we could know him. So when you enter into your home, and love the people there, when you enter into your workplace and love people there and care for them, when you enter into your community, your neighborhood, you're doing what Jesus did. God was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and He moved into the neighborhood. That's what it means to live on mission. This has been God's plan. Um, So... Okay, so this is, so it's not our land by our goodness, it's the whole world, right? Um, and so the wrong story is our land by our goodness. Jesus' story is the whole world, and it's also, it's not by our goodness, right? It's by his promise. It's not our land by our goodness, it's the whole world by his promise. So let's read the rest of the Romans 4 passage here because I want you to see this. Um, Because the question is, like, what are we going to say, right? What do we share with people? Paul doesn't want you to wonder. When you go into the world, when you love the people in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, what do you tell them? Tell them this. Romans 4, start with verse 13. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And so what Paul's doing here is he's just he's reminding us of the gospel. 
He's rehearsing the gospel again. This isn't, all right, God loves the world, so become religious. This isn't, God loves the world, so fix yourself. This isn't, God loves the world, so you better be good enough because Santa's coming. No, 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 no. It's not that. Like, that's not the gospel. It's not through the law. It's not through your obedience. Because if it was, no one would inherit If the promise came through religion, if the promise came through your obedience, if the promise came through your being good enough, then no one would be saved. If you add the law, then everyone is excluded. People who have the law fail to keep the law. And so Paul goes on, he's like, no, it's not about the law. It's about faith. There is a righteousness that comes. There is a status of being accepted by God, forgiven and adopted into his family that comes if you believe. If you trust Jesus. It doesn't just mean like believing there's a God out there or believing that Jesus is even the son of God. But it means that believing, it means trusting Jesus and following him with all your heart. It doesn't mean being perfect, right? But it means, Jesus, wherever you lead, I'm going to go. And if I screw up, I'm just going to admit it, and we're going to work together to move forward. But you are first in my life. That's what it means to have faith in Jesus. It means to believe that he is your Lord, that he is your authority, that whatever he says goes. And when it depends on this faith, this is what, it, what connects it to grace. Verse 16 in order that the promise may rest on grace. This is the favor of God. When it's based on faith and grace, it can be guaranteed. And that's a joy of the gospel, is that you can know for sure that you're going to inherit, not because you've done anything, but because you believe in Jesus, and that's enough for God. If you commit to God, he guarantees that you too will inherit a renewed heaven and earth. It's guaranteed. You can know for sure right now. It is as sure as his resurrection from the dead. And so, anyone who believes can call Abraham father. And this, we talked about his name change last week, that his name, Abraham, means the father of a multitude of nations. Many nations, right? God loves the world and changed Abraham's name to make sure that nobody forgot that this wasn't about this little strip of land. It's about the whole world. And so, how do we do this? Like, just very, very practical. How do we do this? I mean, I've talked about it already. It's about going in, but I want to show you something. I want to show you a clip from a movie that absolutely floored me. Um, the movie's Hacksaw Ridge. I know many of you have seen it. It's a true story of a guy named Desmond Dawes who was a medic in the military. Now, he was in the military because he really wanted to serve the world. He really was for the world. He was for his country, and he wanted to be a part of it, but he was also a pacifist. Okay, he believed that he shouldn't touch a gun, let alone shoot one. And so he entered into the military as a medic, and he was 
persecuted up one side, down the other. The entire movie is him being mistreated. I mean, you watch me like, this is how they treated Jesus. It's kind of amazing. Um, and he continued to love. He continued to just quietly bear it and to bear up under it, which oftentimes is the kind, we're not going to watch any of this. That's why I'm trying to explain it. Um, but um, he had to bear up under it with patience and endurance to just continue to absorb the sins really that were being committed against him. And then there was this battle in World War II um, overseas. He found himself on Hacksaw Ridge where there's this like 80 foot rope ladder ridge that they climbed up and tried to fight. They were fighting against the Japanese and he found himself up there um, at the end of a battle day and there were scores and scores of people who were injured and who were dying. And he has this moment where he's like, God, I can't hear you. What do you want me to do? And all of a sudden, he realizes like what his mission is. And so I want to play this. It's a two-minute clip. Go ahead and play it. And this is what it's all about, right? Lord, please help me get one more. I mean, this is our mission. Um, there are people around us who are spiritually dying. There are people around us who are crippled, their hearts, their minds, emotionally, mentally, 
spiritually, they're dying, and they need help. And I understand that some don't know that they need help, right? Um, and it's very different if you're walking up to someone who, you know, who desperately needs someone to drag them away and they understand their need. Um, but this is why we pray, Lord, please, help me get one more. Um, and I just, I want you, as you think about the time between now, it's August 27th, September 17th is our, is our fall launch. As you think about the next few weeks, um, who can be on your list? Who can be on your list? And just pray, please, Lord, help me get one more. Help me bring one person. Help me to care about someone so much that they would understand and be blessed by my faith. Would you join me to pray that way? Um, Who knows what God will do? We just need to beg him for help uh, and then to show up. To show up looking to care. Let's pray together. Lord, please help us to get one more. Some of us are already exhausted. Um, Some of us feel like we need to be dragged. And so, Jesus, we thank you that the gospel does come to us, that you come to us in the gospel. And I pray, Jesus, that you would be the great physician today and that you would draw near to hearts right now that are so tired and exhausted, that are overwhelmed um, either by our own sin or by the pain and the frustration of life. Give us a renewed vision of what you're doing in the world and the part that we can play in it. Feed us with your love. Strengthen us with your presence. And then send us. We are the children of Abraham now. We have faith, the faith that he had, and we want to be part of your mission to the world. So please, Lord, Help us. Help us to get one more. Put on our hearts the names and the faces of people at home, at the workplace, uh, in our neighborhoods. And open up doors for us to care for them, to show them you, and to share with them the good news of the gospel. And Jesus, I know that some of those one mores are here today. There are people here that don't yet have a relationship with you. Would you draw them close? Show them the good news that you stand ready and willing to rescue and save them. If they would just confess their sins and bow their knee to follow you. And all this we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.